so loud. That's just what I do naturally and normally. My name is Jordan, and uh, I'm on staff here um, as an associate pastor, and I have the privilege just to be able to, to open God's Word with you this morning. But before we do, I got some business to take care of. Um, we have a, a mission trip team that's headed to Haiti this summer, and we had our first team meeting yesterday, and we made a pat with each other that um, we realized that touching your face a lot gets you sick, and so we've told each other, we're not going to touch each other's face. And, or, no, well, this. We're not going <laughs> to... That's rule number one, is we don't touch each other's face. Um, that's just a general social rule. Um, the second rule is that you don't touch your own face, and if you do, you got to give away a paperclip, and I was busted earlier today uh, over here sitting, and so I, I don't know who busted me. I'll let you fight for this. You're not getting two paperclips. Uh-oh. I know, so I'll let you guys fight over it. <laughs> um, sorry. Sorry for, yeah, anyway, that just happened. I uh, can't get it back. Um, it's, again, it's my joy to be able to, to be with us uh, this morning to be able to just open God's Word. We are continuing our series in Revelation. Um, we're getting super close to the end of this book. Revelation 19 is where we find ourselves this morning. I pray that it's impacted you the same way that it's impacted me. Um, if you've been with us along the journey, I don't know how you approach this journey from the very beginning. If you were excited about walking through the book of Revelation, if you were scared, we've talked a lot about the emotions and the feelings that a lot of people have. I was the type of person that's kind of stayed away from the book of Revelation just because I, I, I didn't know its impact. It's, it's freaky. It's weird. I've read it just to say that I'm a Christian because, you know, when Christians read the Bible and it's part of the Bible, so I've read it, but I've never understood it. And so this journey actually has been really beneficial for me as we've walked through this together. Uh, it's been fun to be a part of my community life group as we've, as we've unpacked the book of Revelation together on Sunday nights. And, um, and yeah, it, the weirdness of it is dying down, and I'm seeing the impact of it. So Matt, first and foremost, I commend you for being able to walk through this book, uh, taking on this journey with us. It's made, again, a huge impact for me. Um, at the very beginning, Matt threw out the challenge for us, and, and I took it seriously, and mainly because it comes right from the text of Revelation 1, 3, that um, it says there that for all who listen to this book, read its words, and keep what is written in it will be blessed. Seven months later, I can honestly say that my life has been blessed for what I've been learning through this process. I've been able to see this unusual book in a much larger context. I see how much it connects to the, the entire story of God, how much of the Old Testament books that Revelation is pulling from, and I'm seeing God's story as a whole. It has purpose, it has flow, it has intent, and God has a purpose for us as a church to be able to be reading it. If you're new this morning to Harvest and you're just jumping on board with this journey, it, it's my goal to, to not leave you confused, but to hopefully connect some dots along the way. And so I can only pray that, um, that the Holy Spirit is able to do that through our journey this morning. Before we continue, let's just pray together, just invite the Holy Spirit to be speaking to us and challenging us this morning. Father God, um, we need you. As a church, we need you. I mean, every single day in our individual lives, we need your presence. 
Holy Spirit, if it wasn't for your presence in this room, there's no purpose for us to gather in this place. This is not a social gathering. This is an opportunity for us to connect with the one true living God. And Holy Spirit, you do that so beautifully and so perfectly. I ask that you would do that well this morning. Holy Spirit, be my words and be my heart. Help me to just convey the things that I've written in my notes well, and I pray that you use those words to be able to lead um, all of us to see just how glorious and beautiful our Yahweh God really is. Challenge us, bring us to the conviction of our own sin, and let us see you in all of your glory and who you are. We need you this morning, Jesus. Thank you for everything you've done for us up to this point, and we expect you to continue to do more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, it does not fall short on me that um, Revelation 19, uh, this is the first time I've been asked to be able to preach a sermon in Revelation, that, that this is the chapter where Jesus supports a tattoo. And so um, I think it's super ironic, and uh, Matt, I'm choosing to believe you're not profiling. And so um, anyway... Revelation 19 is an end of a flow of thought. So we have chapter 17, 18, and 19 that really all connect well together. So what was going on um, in chapter 17, just to kind of catch us up to speed of what, where we've been in this book, um, chapter 19 introduces us to two characters. Uh, we see the prostitute and we see the beast. Now, the Apostle John, as he continues to write the book of Revelation, he describes the, the prostitute as the Roman culture. It, um, it is not an individual person, but it is the culture of Rome that we have seen. And the Roman culture um, has led people away, have led first century believers away from their first love. And what God is doing in Revelation 18 is to say, be aware of this culture that steals and robs your affection away from Christ and who he is. Um, we then, uh, uh, sorry, the Apostle John also connects Rome, not just, or connects this idea not just to Rome, but he also, um, the idea is that all cultures uh, from the very beginning of time act just like this. We've seen this in the book of Revelation. One head rises up and it's cut off and it's dead, but then it comes and it's resurrected again. These cultures keep coming up from time and time again. And all cultures uh, have its own form of leading us to wander from the God that we love. And our culture is no different. As soon as the one culture is destroyed, another rises up again. It's been a cycle from the, from the very beginning, since Genesis 3, actually, the fall, the curse of man, that this has been our tendencies to run away from the God that we love. Chapter 18 says that the prostitute, namely in chapter 18, it names it Babylon, uh, metaphorically speaking, because that's Babylon it was a great power within that day. It's, chapter 18 says Babylon will be destroyed. We saw beautifully that um, whenever we submit to the culture around us as our ultimate authority, it will not fulfill us. But we need to surrender to Christ who is our ultimate authority. And when we do, the, the promise is, is that there's going to be pain 
as we surrender to Christ because our culture doesn't agree or doesn't like that. It is difficult. It is not easy. It's not always just a straight line, but the fight and the battle is worth it. And then we get to chapter 19 today. And here's the whole thing behind chapter 19 is that we have hope as God's people when we walk in obedience to his word. The big idea I want us to see is that the people of God in chapter 19 are finally free. What does it mean to be free? Have you ever heard of or seen the movie or the TV show Friday Night Lights? Um, it, if you'll allow me, just follow along with me for a second as we use this as an illustration, maybe to prove a greater point. So uh, Friday Night Lights, it was both a TV show and a movie. Uh, it follows a Texas high school football team out in West Texas who unite together and they fight for a state championship. It follows them all throughout um, many of their senior years as they come together and uh, they, they, they journey to the state championship. Uh, many of them, or all of them, leave so much blood, sweat, and tears on the practice field to get to that point of playing in the state championship game. Uh, Spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen or are aware, um, they won. Um, and so uh, it, it, it was really a beautiful picture of, of, well, for me it was a beautiful picture because I can relate with the idea of competition. I love competing. I love winning. Um, I love winning. Really like to win. Um, and <laughs> Gavin Harrison is like the only guy that can beat me at everything. But uh, anyway, I'm working on that. Um, I'm falling like all of us in here. Uh, um, but so this, this whole idea of, of competing and winning and leaving everything on the field uh, was, was a story that I was able to attach to. Think of it this way, is whenever they won the state championship game, we can attach this idea of being victorious as an idea of freedom, Right? So imagine being this high school junior or senior who has worked so hard up until this point and you win the state title on a Friday night or a Saturday night underneath the lights and you go to school the next Monday morning. Yeah, you're walking around with your head quite a bit higher than you have been, right? You attained a goal that you've set out for and the journey is over, for many of them within their story, this is the end journey for them. Many of these seniors did not go on to college to put on a helmet or shoulder pads one more time. It was the end of this journey in their life, and they were victorious. They were free. And every single victory along the way that led to that state championship were just many freedoms Many victories where they're just like, oh, we're one step closer. We're one step closer. We can do this. We unite together stronger. We bleed together more. We fight together harder because we want to get to this main thing, this main goal of winning this title. Ah, oh, freedom, victory, it's over. We've conquered. We've won. No one is better than us in all of the state of Texas, which where real high school is, uh, football is actually really played. Um, it, you're at the top of your game. 
This small glimpse of their world gives us really a limited picture of what freedom really feels like. As we see in Revelation 19, the people of God are free. All pain, all suffering is done. It is gone. All that's left is the eternal basking in the glory of God. Everything we've been looking forward to here on earth that's brought so much pain, we are there. We've arrived. The people of God are finally free. Let's look in Romans, or sorry, Revelation chapter 19 together. What I'd like to do this morning is um, I want to start at the end of Revelation 19. And, and here's the reason why. We've had a smooth flow of thought from Revelation 17 to 18. And we get to 19 and verse 1. So the two sections that start off verse or chapter 19 are celebration chapters. And yes, we're going to get there. But it ends with the battle of what's made them so victorious. So let's see the battle scene first of the, the victory of Christ the Lamb, and then we'll get to the celebration. So uh, the first thing that I want us to see in uh, Revelation 19 is in verse 11 through 21. The Lamb and all those on his side are absolutely victorious. Starting in verse 11, we're going to see some of the imagery that we've seen all throughout the book of Revelation. And yes, it has so much um, purpose as we read through it. Um, we'll point to a few of them. We don't have time to get through all of them. But just notice the imagery that God is using in Revelation 19 to project the idea of victory, of conquering, of the final battle with Babylon is over. Verse 11. When I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. Pause there for a second. The idea of white is actually the idea of victory. So because Christ is wearing white, or so he's on the white horse, he is proclaiming victory before the battle even actually ever begun. Verse 12. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are the many diadems, meaning just many crowns of glory were on his head, declaring that he is the king. And he has a name that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dripped in blood, and is uh, in the name by which he is called the Word of God. Notice his name, the Word of God beautiful. Verse 14. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of their fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he is, um, uh, sorry, on his robe and on his thigh uh, has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This first section is the battle scene at which Jesus comes and he conquers and he is victorious over the prostitute and over the beast. He is victorious. 
So much that we see, so much that is pointed to is to say how beautiful is the name of Jesus Christ in which he is victorious. It draws me back to um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. If you're familiar, it reads, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is the Lamb. It is the Lamb who is victorious. It is the Lamb who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it is really obvious in this text that this is true. We continue on and we see the battle's outcome Let's skip down to verse 20 and 21. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophets, uh, the false prophet who is in, in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came out of the mouth of him who was sitting on the white horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. A gruesome picture. But if you've walked with us up into this journey, this is not a shocking picture because we have seen this played out. God has promised that this would happen. And here in this story, it is coming true. The wrath of God is being put out against all those who have rejected Jesus their entire life, who have been deceived by the beast, who have heard the word of God and they said, that is not for me, I don't want anything to do with that. They rejected the promises that God has offered and they find themselves in the midst of God's promise of being eternally separated from him. As I've been reading this, this this week, and even as I say this and these words roll off the end of my tongue, gosh, I have a heavy heart. I want to celebrate. We're not there yet in the text, but I want to celebrate. But in my celebration, I'm doing it at someone else's expense. People are not seeing Jesus. People are, are rejecting Jesus. I can't make anyone do anything that they don't want to do. But man, my heart bleeds. Like, just experience the freedom that is in Christ. So with a heavy heart, I read the outcome of this battle. But I also know that God is faithful to his promises for us who believe. And we get to stand with him in joy of who he is in the midst of this moment. So the lamb and all those who are on his side are victorious. The second thing that I want us to see in this text today is the party that we get to, uh, to have in heaven. So let's back all the way up to verse 1 of chapter 19. As we read these verses together, I want you to notice these three different hallelujah points that, that the, the people are declaring. Hallelujah is just a phrase that means praise the Lord, praise God. The way that I've thought about the word hallelujah in, in, my, um, in my journey with Jesus is that uh, sometimes uh, there is just no other words for me to express within my praise. My heart is overwhelmed and words just won't come out. Sometimes this happens in singing. Sometimes this happens in my own prayer life. Sometimes I just sit and I'm overwhelmed by, by the, 
the life that, that um, is surrounding me, and it's burdensome, and I got no words to give, and the word hallelujah is just there. It's a gift for us to use this word hallelujah just to declare to Jesus, praise be your name. So looking at the hallelujahs as we see the rejoicing after the victory of the battle. It reads, after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Verse three, once more, they cry out, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. For, the throne, uh, for from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you, um, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Hallelujah. Everything that God has promised since Genesis chapter 1, all throughout the biblical history that we read in this entire book, God has been faithful to the promises that he has declared. Not one time has God declared something and something else has come out. Yes, sinful, jacked-up people have misinterpreted what God is doing and made some crazy prediction that hasn't come true, but that is not for them to carry. God's word is not void. God's word is faithful and it is true. And it is the promises of God that we hold near and dear to our hearts. We sit this morning hearing the, the battle cry and the battle rejoicing after the ultimate battle is done. And we should rejoice because we know this is one of the promises that God gives us as his beloved adopted children. But we also live in the tension, right, of the right now, the sinful world, living in the culture that we live in, in the battles that we face following Jesus day in and day out. But we get to declare these promises back to God when our hearts are heavy. Hallelujah. Notice the first hallelujah. Who is the center? Who is the, um, the, main, um, the, the main voice? Who is the main character of the first hallelujah? It is God, and it is the salvation that he brings. It is not your salvation that you've attained by yourself. It is not the works that you have lived out that have allowed you to get to stand in the presence of God. The hallelujah declared to him is because of the salvation, his salvation that he bestows upon you as a free gift of his eternal life. That's the first declaration, the first hallelujah. And we celebrate as he judges the great prostitute, which moves into that second Hallelujah, in, verse, or sorry, in verses three, the smoke from her, the prostitute goes up forever. She will be no more. God is ultimately victorious as he has declared. So his righteous judgment is final. 
And in the last hallelujah, we just see the worship of the people, the praise of the name of God coming from the servants, small and great, standing together in unison, declaring hallelujah. Man, looking back at the illustration of this Texas high school football team, the hallelujahs along the way, um, we get to see these small victories in life. Again, we live in the right now. We live in the pain of the midst of this final prophecy has not been fulfilled, but we get to declare these hallelujahs to God because of who he is in these small victories day in and day out, living in the shadows of what is to come, which we know is because of these verses we're reading this morning. So the lamb and all those on his side are victorious. The party is happening in heaven. And lastly, the celebration of God's people is seen in verse 6. Let's read verse 6 through 10 together. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of a mighty peals of thunder crying out. I'm going to pause here. Did you guys hear the thunder this week? That was fantastic. Shocking? Maybe not. Okay, sorry. Um, Distracted. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord God, um, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It has granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. For the angel said to me, to the apostle John as he's writing this, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. The imagery that that God uses to, to, um, as he gives to John to write down for you and for me is this idea of the marriage of the lamb. We, the bride of Christ, are united to our husband who is Christ. And that is not weird, though it may seem weird to you as you think about, but we are his bride Everything, the small victories that we, we seek and the goals that we have in this life and the things that we are able to declare back to God, hallelujah, great is your name for walking with me in this not yet time period of those promises not being fulfilled yet have gotten us to this point to where we are then united with Christ forever as his bride. This is a beautiful imagery of what it is like to be in heaven with our Father for eternity. Celebration of God's people is a beautiful thing. So what does all this mean for us today? How do we connect this? Living in this already, but not yet. It's already been promised, but it's not yet been delivered. The first thing I want to encourage us in is um, this glimpse into the future. It, It gives us a great amount of hope. 
Now, hope is, is not just a maybe. In our language and in our culture, we throw out the word hope with the idea attached to it that maybe it will come true. But as we've seen these promises unfold of God, not just in the book of Revelation, but again, in the entire book, our entire, uh, entirety of scripture, we're able to see that, that the hope that we have is not a maybe, it is a when it comes. So everything we fight through in following Jesus in this world will bring so much hope because we know what our final destination really looks like. We see these two camps in Revelation, and we can't deny them, the beast and the lamb. Are you following the world around us and what it says is the best for you, or are you put banking everything on the lamb that was slain, Jesus Christ, in the glory of the cross in which he bared for you and for me? Our story is a story of victory when we surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ. So the glimpse into this future gives us a ton of hope. But there are two warnings I want to give us today. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, this warning is for us that we need to be aware of. The first warning is that knowing the outcome of the future has the potential of making us extremely arrogant. The difference between these two camps of the beast and the lamb is the mercy of God. For those of us that are familiar with Romans 3.23, we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we are all sinful. There is the only thing that separates um, those of us who follow Jesus and those who reject Jesus is the mercy of God. The whole, the first three books of Romans, so Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 give a beautiful picture for us to be able to be reminded that we're not that awesome. I love chapter 1 where it lays out for us um, uh, what Gentiles looks like. Paul being a, a Roman citizen but also a Jew and, and says, look at those Gentiles and the way that they live and they don't, they don't follow Jesus. Look at the way that they live and do not live like them. They see the, uh, the idols in the world and they worship these idols. They worship creation. I have pursued them and I have come after them and they reject me so I let them go. Don't be like those Gentiles. And sure, we know that the Jews who are reading this are like, yeah, don't be like those sinful Gentiles. And then we get to chapter 2, right? And the chapter 2 of Romans says, uh, and you also, you Israelite nation, that you are no different than the Gentiles, when it comes to your separation from God. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rejoice in the glory of God only. It's meant to be a shock to the readers, the original readers, to say there's no distinction, Jew or Gentile. And we get to chapter 3, where it makes it abundantly clear no one is able to pursue God. No one is able to seek God. No, not one on your own accord. It is the free gift of God bestowed upon you. You are not that awesome. And I think that if we had a conversation, a one-on-one -on -one conversation, you would know that, and you could, would be able to share that with me as much as I'm able to share that with you but the way that we choose to live reflects something so much differently at times, right? 
we get arrogant and we think sometimes we're better than all of those other people out there. I know this to be true because I'm on Facebook. <laughs> Let the Holy Spirit do what he wants with that. Second warning, God's mercy is our greatest gift. It is also our biggest handicap. Please hear my heart here. Don't just listen to my words, but hear my heart's cry. I never want to say that God's mercy is a handicap. But sometimes whenever I look over at other world religions, I look at Islam. They're praying five times a day. I look at that, I'm like, why in the world can I not do that? Why do I struggle maintaining a prayer life? I get Mormons knocking on my door, having a good conversation with me. Why can't I do that? Why can't I be that bold in my faith to just go knock on someone's door? We know that these world religions and many others, right, they, they think they're earning their way to Jesus. They're earning their salvation. It's not about grace and mercy. It's about works that earns them this place in God's kingdom. But for you and for me, we know the grace of God. We know that it's a free gift. We know that it's something that we never had to do, but God just lavishes us with his love. Man, it is a beautiful thing, and I never, ever, ever want to downplay that. But it's our biggest handicap because we find ourselves day in and day out living for ourselves more than we're living for the one who has saved us and giving us this free gift. I'm going to go on a limb here and say the majority of us in this room, including myself, struggle with this because of our sin nature. We have to be reminded of how beautiful Jesus is as we read Revelation 19 and all that it entails and be pushed back to worshiping Jesus wholeheartedly in spirit and in truth. So this glimpse of the future gives us hope with some of these warnings. The second thing I want us to see is this victory found in Christ should drive us to know him to love him, and to live every waking moment for him. And we must battle the heart of arrogancy and taking things for granted. This is why we need the gospel preached to us every single week, if not every single day, because our sinful hearts overtake and overpower us at times. Remember that Texas high school football team that I shared at the very beginning? The taste of victory drove them every moment, every day to experience freedom. This is Christ's promise to us today as well as our future that we get to experience freedom. This is God's word declared to us right here. Romans 8, chapter 2 says, The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 32, In knowing Christ, then you know the truth, and the truth has set you free. Romans 6, 18, Having been set free from sin, you have become slaves to the righteousness of God. Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. 1 Peter 2.16, live as people who are free. 
though Romans 19 is not a reality yet, we get to live in the promises of God, of experiencing freedoms, victories in our lives today. Do you feel free? Do you have the ability to stand? Do you have the strength to worship him and declare to them, hallelujah? Or is the weight of our sin and the guilt that it brings and the lies we believe about ourselves, does it overpower us and it pushes us slowly away from Jesus? Our call today in looking at Revelation 19 is to know what our future is, which allows us to stand. Because again, it's not anything about what you have done. You have not earned this. This is not your right. God has lavished his love on us. We once, Ephesians chapter 2, deserved the wrath of God, but because of his great love for us, he saves, he redeems, and he draws us to himself. As you're in this place this morning, and you're hearing these words, and as the Holy Spirit, I pray, is continuing to move and to work in our hearts, my encouragement is that we live free. As we sing a few songs here in the last moments together, if your hearts are heavy, I would encourage you to just spend a few moments begging God to take away the weight that you have placed on yourself and allowing his freedom to speak truth over you because his mercy is a beautiful thing and he will allow you to worship in spirit and in truth this morning as we sing together. And if you come in this place and your heart's full of your love for Christ, let it out and rejoice because what is coming is the marriage of the Lamb. Christ is victor victorious over this world that seems to ensnare and trap us and bring so much pain in our lives. I'm going to invite our worship team up. I'm going to pray. God, this morning, we're able to see in your word that as God's people, as your people, we are free. And God, my experience in walking and journeying with you for the past 37 years of my life, I've been able to experience these deep, dark pits of depression and sensing you breaking through and free into, into my life and just experiencing the freedom that I have in you. And I pray this morning that you would pierce our hearts, that you would let this truth reign, and that you would allow us to live free fighting for the day that this life is done and we stand with you forever as you are a victorious king. God, thank you again for everything that you have done for us and lead us to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Worship team, I wanna ask a huge favor of you. Can we sing the Revelation song coming out of this and then leading into the last few songs. Okay. You can't tell me no because I've asked in front of everyone, so... <laughs> <laughs>